You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Nipe here with always... Typical Lydia. Today we're going to be talking about the 2012 film Charm. Uh, but before we do that, first of all, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Oh my god, it's been like a month. I know. Sometimes when we're releasing episodes, there's a lot of time in between them. And in the last episode, I wasn't even in it. So, I mean, it doesn't always work out that, that we're going to see each other as often as we'd like to record episodes. But that last episode was good. Thank you. Yeah, no, scheduling is really, really tough. I know that aside from work, life, summer, all that stuff, it is just really hard to schedule time. It really can be, but uh, we got it done today. Um, We're also going to do something today that we haven't done in a little bit. Uh, We're going to field some questions. Yay. (laughs) What's that? You don't want to? No, I do. It's almost like an anniversary episode. It's like, yeah, mailbag. What We did mailbag, what, episode 10? Episode 10. We're past that benchmark. We are. It's just this this symmetrical freak in me is all like, oh, we should have done this at episode 20. We should have done this at episode 20. But one of the things that I'd like to encourage from people is constant. uh, I mean, you know, the movies that we talk about, we're going to talk about them. Don't worry about it. But if you guys want us to talk about something specific... Well, then you just ask us on Twitter or you ask us on Facebook and we'll get to it right here. This is this is hot off the presses. This was fielded to me 20 minutes ago. Wow. Yeah. Not bad, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, heart's still beating. <laughs> it's still got a pulse. The question is this. Would you consider Goosebumps or Tales from the Crypt horror or just Tales to Scare the Kids? Is there such a thing as horror for kids? Goosebumps, no. Tales in the Crypt, yes. But you don't think that, like, um, R.L. Stein's famed youth book series about ghosts and monsters and, and possessed things, that's not horror? It it's has... creepy and, st- and stuff. It's more about the interactions of the kids and stuff like that, and interactions with their adults around them. Mm-hmm. That's what the stories are more about. Yeah. They're not genuinely scary. They're creepy. Like, when I was a little kid, I got creeped out by Scooby-Doo, you know? Scooby-Doo. Watching some Scooby-Doo and then being like, what do you mean I have to go and turn the top off in the basement? Yeah, <laughs> you know? I don't want to. I just watched a bunch of Scooby-Doo. But didn't you always feel that after an episode of Scooby-Doo that if you were to encounter anything in your basement, it was just like the old landlord that was trying to scare you guys off the property or something like that? No, we had rats and salamanders in our basement. Salamanders, you say? Yeah, it was kind of cute. Sally the salamander. Really? Yeah, he was blue most of the time, and sometimes he was green. Uh, Okay, so Goosebumps, I do consider that horror. I mean, because it has all of the elements of horror. It has normal children encountering abnormal circumstances... It usually presents a world in which it's largely considered that bizarre or supernatural things don't occur, and they in fact do occur. So there's like incredulous adults, intuitive children, and some kind of monster or supernatural event. I count it. Now, there's a limit to what can be done in a book series intended for nine-year-olds. And distributed by Scholastic. Scholastic, yeah. yeah. Um, when I was a little kid, 
I loved Goosebumps uh, when I was a very young kid. I had tons of them. I was honestly a little old for for Goosebumps. Yeah, I, I yeah I could definitely see that. But but then it, and then also it turned into a television show on YTV here and I think Nickelodeon in the United States. And uh, and to me that was kind of like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Which was another youth oriented horror series about a bunch of kids that sort of sat around a campfire and told each other scary stories. Um, that again was like a cross promotion of Canada and the United States, one on Nickelodeon and the other on YTV. Tales from the Crypt, on the other hand, uh, the comic books that go, oh geez, 1960s at least. Um, And and any sort of the creepy tales, any of the old Warren comics. They rely um, more on like a gothic and grotesquerie. There there really was lots of zombies, lots of monsters, lots of just getting eaten. And I mean, those uh, people getting eaten and murdered and, and lots of true crime type stuff. There was all kinds of comic books like that. And then that sort of went the way of the dodo during the big comic book witch hunts uh, when uh, Seduction of the Innocent became a big thing and there was public comic book burnings and a lot of comic book companies went out of business during this era. And one of the big sacrifices from that era, one of the big losses, was the loss of a lot of horror titles. Very few survived. Um, Vampirella survived. Tales from the Crypt survived. So many went to the wayside. And of course it came back eventually. But once the comic code was instituted, that was pretty much it. And then Tales from the Crypt became... Well, there was a movie. Oh God, would that have been the 70s? Or something like that? I don't even remember. It was a bit of an... Untho- it was. It, it, I like it, anthology horror and I have seen it. But it, I don't remember when it I, came I've out. seen it. But I think I it's way more recent than the 70s. You might be right. I, I'm having a hard time remembering. Uh, again, this is just off the top of my head. And I do know that the Tales from the Crypt, uh, what I remember the most fondly was the HBO series. I used to watch that every Saturday with my mother. Yeah, that's what I remember more clearly, too. We definitely did. I liked the Crypt Keeper as the It was a great character. It was really host. funny. Yeah, I definitely liked him. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. And he did hearken. Like, they did a good job bringing to life the... Mm-hmm. Cryptkeeper from the comic books. Um, the stories were kind of like Twilight Zone light to me. And again, it's a lot closer to Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Just not for me and a little too juvenile. Mm-hmm. I think like, Goosebumps really lives in the realm of horror. If you're going to follow like the Stephen King formula of horror, terror, and the gross out. Yes. And things like Tales from the Crypt definitely live in the gross out and uh, more so in the terror not so much in just the plain horror but i enjoyed the television show because it was more my time the tales from the crypt show Mm -hmm. the goosebumps show was still too juvenile and way too recent for me to have been watching regularly i did watch some of it yeah i'm I'm not surprised obviously um i watched it the the age difference between you and i definitely speaks to that but do you remember that film mr boogity no. Oh, that's one that was sort of, sort of bridges that gap. It came out around the time that Tales from the Crypt was getting popular and was when Goosebumps stories were being available from Scholastic and things like um, a Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was being made available um, again through Scholastic being re-released and the Two Zero Adventure books were... Two Zero Adventure, yeah. There were some creepy titles in there. Yeah. So Especially since so like, many of the endings, you ended up dying. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's... The first Bridge to Terabithia, and the Bridge to Terabithia as a book was kind of a horror because of there's it ends with a horrible death and it's a super tragedy. It's super dark. And Mr. Boogity was like a movie and Escape from Witch Mountain and things like that were coming up from Disney. It was like Disney's dark years. Disney's dark years. And that was sort of like bridging between... Tales from the Crypt, the legacy of Tales from the Crypt up to the TV show, and then Goosebumps sort of picking up from there with the books then into the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, th- they're definitely... It's, it's, it's weird. You know the funny thing about Tales from the Crypt? I was watching the series with my mother on Saturdays, um, Saturday nights at 10 o'clock. I remember that very specifically. And... Or fr- no, Saturdays for sure. And then there was an animated series. So the, inter- the the weird thing about Tales from the Crypt is there was a, an HBO show that, you know, it featured uh, graphic murders, uh, cannibalism, uh, supernatural stuff, like stuff that is not really intended for children. My mom was a Somewhat little... Somewhat graphic. I think that it was definitely they dumb sh- they, they They saw Joe sanitized. Pesci in half. They saw Joe Pesci this in... This was not Wizard of Gore, though. Well, no. No. This was... HBO kids show. I, I don't know though, like because it was on at night. But the animated series was all of the exact same things that you would expect from Tales from the Crypt, the same types of stories, but that was very Saturday morning, which I thought was interesting that there was like a show, there was a, literally a Saturday morning cartoon show and a live action show running simultaneously. simultaneously. Yeah. And, um, and there was like Crypt Keeper dolls. Like it was weird. It was like. I definitely preferred the live action show, even though I felt it was dumbed down from the comic books, because I thought the comic books are way more horrific and way more scary. That is, we definitely both agree on that. Yes. And then the the animated show was even more so. So it's like, well, you know what? I'd rather watch Scooby-Doo, because it's creepier, and I'd rather watch um, Beetlejuice, if you're going to watch, like, horror kids cartoons. Beetlejuice had a lot of funny puns in it. I did like those. Yeah. Beetlejuice was pretty (laughs) punny. But are there... Is there real horror for children? Like, what do you, what do you? Because uh, this question asker is raising something that's I think about sometimes. I have a young uh, niece. It's like, what do you? What do young parents who have new kids, like, like who are steeped in horror, what do you decide is age appropriate for them, or what do you decide is is just okay? Like, yeah, we could watch this. What's a good film or series or something to bridge that gap where you don't want to shove graphic horror into a kid's face because that's your child and you know maybe it's I mean it's your responsibility as a parent to determine what you you think your kid can handle and what they can't well um, as far as like literature there's like you can go like the Nancy Drew Hardy boys route which is kind of creepy and you got a little bit of terror, mm-hmm. and then you go into, of course, the things that are written for kids, like the whole R.L. Stein stuff, and yeah. anything from Scholastic, basically, yeah. and poetry and stuff like that, where all those images are of their own imagining. So you're gonna have, you're gonna hit that brick wall of what they can envision in their own heads, right? right. No matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the newer wave. I'm trying to remember the the name of these. Uh, um, asylum books i'd I'd given one to my niece because it is it's very creepy and very terrifying and there is a lot of horror elements in them Mm -hmm. but they're not like super graphic by any means they are ya horror novels a huge ya horror 
market in literature. Yes. And then as far as film, I find a lot of parents that I know seem to go to like classics. And you always hear parents being like, oh, my kid really, really want to watch Alien, but I don't know yet. So I'm just going to hold off and wait till they bug me for another five years before I let them watch it. So they like keep going back to like... Mm-hmm. Not as old classics, because kids I find nowadays get bored by, like, Dracula and Frankenstein and all that Sometimes stuff. kids will have a hard time watching things that are in black and white. Yeah. Um, certainly silent. They they have a hard time with that. But, I mean, standards, uh, you know, you look at something like Frankenstein in the 1930s, that was shocking. Well, I guess the new one now is, like, Goonies and stuff like that. And Goonies, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah House like, of Wax, even. The, the original House of Wax? Or the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd even, I, I think that it's compelling enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that definitely has some stuff going for it. I feel like Monster Squad's a good pick. Yeah. Because um, I think, like, you, you get the the benefit of the Universal Monsters in a little bit more contemporary setting, even though the movie is. And, and it's not sexed up like Lost Boys. I would recommend Lost Boys, but it's a little sexed up. Like, I think, like, Lost Boys is good for, like, a preteen type thing. Nor was it ever. It was good for this preteen. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> it's lame as hell, though. It really is. It is, but yeah. I, I think if you come across Lost Boys at that right age, it, it definitely is one of those movies where you're like, oh, yeah, Lost Boys. Uh, yeah, yeah where Billy Idol's still cool? Uh, hey, he's still cool. Okay. Guy <laughs> yeah, is kind of still cool. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's different. Like, I would say, what do you even say? Poltergeist, that's good for kids, I think. Like, like I don't think that's too terrifying. Uh, Is the first Nightmare on Elm Street too terrifying for kids? Is it I too would, bloody? I, I would say, I would I would hold off on Now define first... kids. Under let's... 12? Is that what, under 12? 10. Yeah. Let's say 10. Yeah. I don't know if you want your kid really watching a lot of horror before they're 10. Uh, I'm I mean, no, I'm no authority on this because I was reading Stephen King books. That's see me too. And watching like, horror films. Th- that was in, the like, thing. Grade three. I so. saw like you're talking about like when am I going to let my kid watch Alien? I watched Alien when I was uh, before I was ten, easily before yeah, I was yeah. ten. I watched Jaws before I was ten. I watched um, when I was a kid. I didn't have the sanitized kid versions of. These horror icons that kids have in Monster High and stuff like that, and television programs like Ruby Gloom and things like that. I, oh yeah, Ruby Gloom. I, I love Ruby that. Gloom, but I we didn't really have that. We had those very serious grown-up versions. We had the old black and white mm-hmm. shows that children would really be bored by watching now, unless they're a die-hard, like organic, born and bred horror fan. If it runs in their blood already, they're going to enjoy that, mm-hmm. no matter how outdated it seems or whatever. Um, but we didn't have those like tailored child versions of all these things. So I don't think kids necessarily need them. Why mm-hmm. do we think we need them? If you go to the, the bookstore, you're going to find all kinds of YA horror. And after like the Goosebumps phase, there was a whole bunch of other little ones that aren't as popular that you can definitely seek out. Bunnicula comes to mind, a vampire mm-hmm. bunny rabbit, whatever. That sort of stuff. There's, so there is tons of it. It's just not as prolific as mm-hmm. like R.L. Stein. Uh, Darren Shan writes some good YA horror, terror, intrigue for kids. So there definitely is. I don't consider it horror proper though. Not only, not because it's sanitized, but because the focus is not on 
the monster that focuses on the humanity and it's basically a drama or it's a tragedy with a nice neat ending for kids right so i don't really consider it all horror mm-hmm. have you read the new rl stein his grown-up book red rain no i haven't no i read it and i liked it it still seems like for kids it features kids and there aren't any really really vicious kills or anything like that it's kind of vicious but it's not like something that i would not let a 10 year old read and it's not hyper adult it's not over sexed or anything like that do you think that Arl stein was kind of trying to tap into the market that read him as a kid and now they're adults so that he's trying to like bridge that gap and but he also doesn't want to be too dissimilar from the goosebumps because of if you're coming to an Arl stein book and you were like oh i read goosebumps as a kid yeah so so it's like i'm coming to this author now as an adult um but it's like you you need to see things that you recognize yeah you don't want like a whole departure you want to still be able to slip into your your sweater you wore in college or whatever right yeah Yeah. so that's exactly it and i think he did want to appeal and that's just his writing style right so he's not going to completely bust Mm -hmm. out of his own writing style he's been writing the same way for a very long time it's very natural to him so it is a very natural sort of book it's a little more vicious and it's a little more dark for sure but it's still like an rl stein book so yeah that's definitely what's going on there it's not like judy bloom judy bloom wrote all these like kids books ya fucking like literary fiction when i was in high school and i didn't know and of course no kid knew that she was also a fucking porn writer and she used the same name so being a kid someone's caught it'd be like judy bloom Oh, it's a book called Wifey. All cute. It's probably about a girl that's a little older than what she wrote. Normally writes trying to like, like maybe getting married. That's awesome. It is porn. And <laughs> shock the fuck out of me. Before the days of the internet where you could just look up someone's name and yeah. you're like, oh my. No way, man. No way. And it was, it was shocking. It was horribly shocking in that I didn't know she wrote porn. My aunt didn't know she wrote YA. It was a great conversation we had about that. But... R.L. Stein isn't going to, like, pull that trick. No way. No, 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 no. Write some Edward Lee-style fucking super dark, gory fucking hell ride and shock the hell out of the kids that used to read them or just discovered them because they're 10. They're doing a revamp of, what, Teen Wolf? Teen Wolf is a television show again? It is, yeah. Yeah. That's maybe for kids. I haven't watched it. I don't know what this Ash vs. Evil Dead is going to be like, but... It's probably going to be fairly campy and fairly tame because, you know. I don't know. I saw the trailers. Did you see the trailers? No, I haven't yet. No. Wow. Yeah? Wow. Okay. They're going for it. Is it rivaling like Walking Dead in gore? Oh, yeah. That is great. American Horror Story in Terror? That is, I mean, it's graphic. Oh, good. I could not. That's promising. The trailer alone. It's got, I mean, it's also funny as hell, right? Like, it's also got, like, Bruce Campbell in it, and he's camping it up, and he's definitely being campy, but I'm pretty sure they nailed to the fucking wall that this series, there are certain hallmarks that need to be present in this series to make it feel like Evil Dead, and Blood seems to have been one of the points, because... One of the one of the dirty little secrets about cable is you can put what you want on it. You really can. <laughs> the dirty little secret, yeah. Um, but you have advertisers, and 
advertisers might not like what you put on the show. And so you got to be careful because they might pull their advertisement. But if the advertisers know what the show is and want it to be like that, yeah. you can do what you want. That's how Walking Dead gets away with it. That's how come on AMC at like 9 o'clock in the morning, I can see someone's skin being ripped off <laughs> on television. Yeah. I can't believe it. Like, And, and I'm just going to take a derailment here mm-hmm. for Walking Dead. I can't believe that that show is as popular as it is and it's as violent as it is. They don't fuck around on that show. Like, for say anything that I... Like, whatever you want about the show itself and the popularity of zombies and, like, all this other shit. But, like, I can't... It's visually fucking, what they're getting away with. Yeah. I can't fucking believe what they get away with on that show. I'm That's, really glad that they do. Me too. Because it started this whole fucking trend with... Like, American Horror Story and Hannibal and Bates Motel and just, there's just more, yeah, violence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the way you start out a series when there's not a lot of horror on television by shooting a little tiny girl in the face. Yeah. And then that just opened up the shit gates and the shit flowed. And I love yeah. it. I, I definitely yeah. love it. I don't watch TV. I don't really partake in these, but I love that they're available. And when I do decide to catch up on this shit, yeah. I guess... Um, Dexter was Dexter, probably yeah, yeah, the number Dexter. one where the shit gates opened. Yeah, 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 for sure. I just, I just think that like they're really. It always sucks to be the first one through the gate, but if you're the first one through the gate and it hits, then an entire fucking industry is born on television. Where people are saying, oh, I want, well, we want that. Yeah. We want more. We're like, Yeah, I guess Dexter really lubed it up for people. And then yeah. you got things like CSI kind of like lubing it up. And then you shoot a little tiny girl in the face. And yeah. And you you, you, okay you crank that. it up just a little bit. And then yeah. you have these moments in television where I just, like, like, there's not an episode of The Walking Dead that I've ever seen. I've seen a few. Uh, I don't watch it religiously like some people but i mean it, i mean it's a fine show and the production value on it is really nice um i can't there's not an episode i've ever seen where i'm not like shocked that this is just on fucking television. i tend to forget that it's on television because i don't watch it in that context i don't watch it with commercials advertisers crap like that i watch it on netflix or whatever yeah. i don't or like someone's like set of dvds or whatever i haven't watched that much of it either so i've never really watched it on television yeah so i've never had it in that delivery i've only model. seen it on television i've yeah. only seen it with like commercials i'm like... never shocked because i've seen the first season and then i knew exactly even from the first episode exactly what to expect i'm not into the storyline so I yeah no uh, reason to actually watch it that's fair but i'm not shocked that i i like looking at it from your point of view i can see that and that makes sense yes it is shocking what they are putting on the show is like oh my god i can't believe this is on television like i like i'm looking at it through the context of growing up in a world where you know you would watch a show and people would get shot and they would just sort of like clutch their chest and fall over on their side and they'd go to sleep <laughs> or like, or, you know, that's what it would look like. Yeah. Or, or, you know, people would, uh, they would cut away and it would always be implied, but it would never be shown. Oh, 
V was probably the first show me and my mom would, would watch. And I don't even remember. This was probably like mid to late 80s, I suppose. It would have been, yeah, for V, yeah. yeah. And when, I guess it was the second episode where they eat a live rat. Yeah. And that freaked the fuck out of people. And there was a lot of violence in V. A lot of really gross body horror in V. And that's probably the most graphic show. That's probably where it started from the whole... I agree. Instead yeah. of somebody, yeah, getting shot, it's just a loud noise. And they clutch their chest and fall over and yeah, yeah. sleep. Yeah. Or they would cut away or something like that. You know, yeah. like I always... It would always be the impl. Everything would be death would be implied. Yeah. Um, on murder shows and and and. I never whatever. really watched like Hill Street Blues and stuff like that, so I don't yeah. know what it was like as far as the death in that. But I, I mean, the the levels that they push nowadays is crazy. I can't even remember how we got on this fucking subject. Goosebumps and Goosebump- tales from the crypt. T- Goosebumps and tales from the crypt. So yeah, um, I suppose this is a roundabout way of saying it, but. Horror does exist for children. It depends the kind of things you want your kid to watch. And I think that if you watch something, uh, you'll never know what the limits are for your child until you bring them to it. And I think you just need to be, if you don't want to deal with nightmares and you don't want to deal with scared children, parcel it out to them. Uh, Very kid-friendly stuff. I mean, parents should know their kids. Yeah, you guys know your kids. I don't really think that I can offer advice. I can just say that stuff exists. So, so we're gonna, Charm. So Charm, 2012. It's a movie about a man who lives in New York who is fed up with, shall we say, people with conflicting philosophies. He doesn't like how New York City has changed over the years. And it's interesting because he seems to have a lot of the complaints of someone who shouldn't be complaining about these things. It's weird. It's like, so in the 1970s and the 80s, New York went through this really rough time. Drug dealing, prostitution, crime waves that people hadn't seen before. Uh, a real urban decay. Sort of like the legacy of what they had come from, actually, in a way. Mm. Dirty, filthy, vile, gross, violent, scary New York. So so the scary, the scary feelings that people had about New York and how it was just this rough, dangerous place. And that's in all kinds of movies. If you watch movies about New York from that time period, it's all pretty much about how New York is just a really fucking rough place to live. And how the the citizens of there are really kind of accepting of that. It's weird. But then the the New York cleanup happened after Giuliani, I want to say. Started. Yeah, it really started. And there was a lot of thinkers like Richard Florida and Jane Jacobs. A lot of people really writing about gentrification as the way to go and the way to have your creative class and your business class merge. Yes. Um, Times Square went from a place full of pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers, a place that you would never go to after hours to fucking Disneyland. Like a a family-oriented experience and and really sort of emphasized bright shining lights. Yeah, brightly lit, safe, and well-policed Yeah, clean. Yeah. Clean is the number one thing. Clean, definitely. Uh, And so that would usually be something that most people would be happy about not this guy not malcolm he does not like (laughs) this at all and he believes that the only way to combat this 
is to almost be a one-man army to elevate random crime in the city to poison the idea that New York is a safe place. He wants to initiate the tipping point so it'll go back to pimps and prostitutes on street corners downtown. And he wants to see like broken windows, spray paint, graffiti. He thinks that this will incite a higher amount of creativity and better art. He feels that all the important art has died with the filthy cities. You know, he wants a rotten core. He feels a rotten core is the only way to initiate any sort of art. And you can bring that right down to the one person where a lot of artists, their muses are usually um, a toxic person, toxic relationship, toxic environment, toxic something that's usually initiating these arts. And people often point to artists that have cleaned up their act and stopped drinking and smoking and stuff like that to crappier fucking product, right? And then entire movements and entire cities and then he takes new york as a great example of all of this so it's a lot of like ideas on art and strife yes that are contained within this film Mm -hmm. i thought it was a really fun choice because of where we live wes we live in the heart of gentrification in ottawa we do seen it happen in the glebe the glebe went from like artsy you know little bohemian villa to this super gentrified high-rises and uh, soccer moms and wasps. It's Wasp Villa. And then where you live down the road, Westboro, mm-hmm. is now just exactly that. It's high-rises. It's Wasp Haven. And yeah. it is, like, gentrified to the nines. Mm-hmm. There's no art. You can't even put posters for shows up in Westboro. There are no colors on the street posts. No. And they took out any street post that could accommodate any sort of poster. So if you're flyering for shows, mm-hmm. you can't post anything up there. So when you're walking through there, you're pretty much devoid of any sort of culture mm-hmm. at all in that area. Um, and where we are right now in Hipsterburg. Hipsterburg, think, yeah. Is the, is the actual name. They should just rename it Hipsterburg. Uh, Hintenburg is like hipster haven right Mm -hmm. now but it's sort of in flux because they're pushing hard to uh bring in a lot more business gentrify it have a lot more high-rises all the little tiny art hubs and the cafes are being replaced by chain cafes things like that yeah it's interesting because especially this area in particular 20 years ago 25 years ago um had a lot more crime in it and was considered not safe my mother uh grew up in this area when she was uh, a girl into her teenage years and stuff like that and it was all like oh you don't go to you don't go to hintonburg no don't go there it had uh, when i was mapping prostitution migration in school um everyone talks about vanier mm -hmm. like it is some sort of like east van it's the tenderloin it's like that's where all the prostitutes are that's where the crime is uh and it's not really if you look at the statistics and people charged with sex crimes they're not they weren't being charged there they're being charged here this was like 10 times worse than vanier ever was and it wasn't like it was a dirty secret everyone knew there was a lot of crime prostitutes and drugs on the streets in this area but people just picked at vanier vanier was a scapegoat but there was actually a lot more crime and a lot more sex crime a lot more drugs on the street like public drug use happening here i'd often wanted to interview my maintenance uh, guy for this building paul 
because he was initially hired not as a maintenance guy, so to speak. His job itself has been gentrified. Get this. He was hired to cook prostitutes out of alleyways and clean up all the drug paraphernalia that you'd find and like wrangle junkies out of people's door, door fronts and stuff like that. Really? So all the businesses and houses around here that are owned by the, the family that owns this area, like a lot of the buildings in this area, uh, that's why they hired him specifically. Now, of course, there isn't any of that going on, so he still keeps his eye on the crime in the area, but he's mostly relegated to, you know, yard work and keeping the street clean and stuff like that. That seems less crime fighty and more maintenance yeah, so... Well, he's grown into his job, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lot more chill as he ages, I'm sure. When he was younger, I'm sure that was an exciting job to have. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it was very needed here where we don't see that sort of crime here like we used to, thanks to all of the stores, chain stores, and mm-hmm. high-rises that are popping up all mm-hmm. around Right us. now, the, they're doing it at the Rideau Center. They're pushing out lower-tier businesses and bringing in more marquee stores everything's more expensive everything's yeah like nordstrom h&m aside from you know sears and 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 stuff like that like uh pay less shoes uh, yeah pay less shoes poor pay less shoes yeah no but like and and i remember talking to uh to somebody that works in that mall and they said oh yeah they're they're pushing out the old businesses and trying to encourage higher class businesses to come here and um, I mean, it, it, it it's just the way it goes, right? Like one of the things that you could do to eliminate a lot of problem crime in the area is to just make it less appealing for those criminal elements to remain. Now, there is a huge foodie component in this area, yeah. but that doesn't really replace some of the older eateries that used to be in this area, and that was like the real culture, right? There's no music venues in this area anymore, no, no, thanks no, no. to this push, and thanks to the, the the physical fucking footprint that high-rises and condos need to survive, yeah. right? So they're, they're pushing out a lot of the actual culture, and that was a lot of Malcolm's problem. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's like, it sounds like kind of like, we're, we're kind of like agreeing with Malcolm yeah, on this Yeah, unfortunately we are. We wouldn't necessarily agree with just gunning down people randomly. Well, I certainly don't agree with that. <laughs> Especially in that by the end, the tables are kind of turned on him. Yeah. But like, you can sort of see where he's coming from. And he is sort of right. Especially because he's taking a lot of the concepts that he's barking, beaking off about from very well thought out and the last like 15 years well written articles and books and conferences given on how to merge the creative class and the business class so that you don't get like a poison gentrification. So he does have a point. He definitely has a point. But he's also part of the fucking problem. Yes. He's a hipster. He is a hipster. Is this hipster horror? It is a bit of a hipster horror. I mean, you are dealing with people who... um live within a subculture in New York City who spend a lot of their time in bars and restaurants philosophizing about life and the shortcomings of society and and referring to the masses as them and all these other people that 
are behaving in this way. And if only they could view the world through my prism, they would see how incorrectly they're living their lives. As if you're some sort of enlightened person and you're just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up. It's narcissistic to the 10th degree. And I think one of the most frustrating things about watching Malcolm go through his day-to-day -day is passing judgment on people for the way they behave when he is just as narcissistic and obnoxious about... I mean, he's sitting there fucking telling people what movies they should be watching and what literature they should be reading. Constantly. And yeah. Constantly, constantly, constantly judging everyone around Constantly. Him. Yeah. Constantly. Um, that you're a lesser person because you haven't consumed the same media that he has, that's insufferable. Fucking insufferable. And I remember turning to you while we were watching the movie while he was talking to his parents. I was like, it must be exhausting living your life like this. It must be so fucking frustrating to just sit there and judge people because they don't fucking watch your VHS copy of Truffaut or whatever the hell it is you're yeah. doing. Having t-shirts made up to espouse their fucking favorite directors and stuff like yeah. that. That's the, kind the, of like, so, so you could wear that t-shirt and be like, what's that? And be like, oh, you don't know this French cinema classic? And that's exactly plebe. what they were doing. Plebe. Like, like, they threw that word around. I use the word plebe a lot. Yeah. I definitely do, but not. I don't have any actual I just reason it, to use it. Like, he had taken his love of murder, and it is a love of murder. Yes. And and turned it and tried to explain it away with just coffee shop philosophy. Like he's a very annoying character. Like I remember, like I don't like I know you're not really supposed to like a character that's killing a bunch of people, but yeah. like I, I, even if he wasn't killing people, I wouldn't like this guy. And I think that he even goes like sort of up. He doesn't go down, but he sort of goes up social ladders a little bit. And the conversations are exactly the fucking same as him and his friends are having in the diner or in the back of a bar. They're the exact same conversations that they're having at the art show. They're the exact same conversations that they're having at his parents' house. There are all these different tiers of income, all these different tiers of class going upward. He doesn't go downward necessarily mm -hmm. um, in class. But it's all the exact same fucking conversation, and it's all just super fucking self-entitled, and it's all just super fucking insular, right? Yeah. So it's all you guys are all living in a little bubble with yeah. your little philosophies about life and the way it should be run when you're so fucking, what's the word I'm looking for? No, their heads are up their own ass. Yeah, super fucking entitled. It's disturbing. It's first world problems. Oh, so, oh my God. Yeah, like, boiled down to a, a sickly sludge. Like, have you ever been like in a, in a taxi and you just wanted the taxi driver to go faster or, or to take the route that you want him to take or you don't like that he's not from here or, or or whatever weird hang up that you happen to have and so like I want to pull a gun and shove it in this guy's face and make him listen to me like it's this weird stuff like that where like you know instead like, of being polite or firm no what he wants to do is pull a gun out because that and, and it's and it's messed up because you see uh examples and I'm I'm sure this was deliberate in the movie because you have an entire scene where um, he's exposed as being unimportant. And that is when they filmed him at his job. And that was the first time he actually freaks out on his film crew. Now, there's a documentary film crew. Oh, we should around. mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that these documenters, 
these documentary filmmakers had approached him because he's so interesting. He'd hired them to record his manifesto. It's a very 21st century version of the manifesto, I feel. Yeah. Um, because he wants to make it very clear why he's doing this. His MO is no MO. He switches up locations, persons, victims, type. He's not going after a particular race or sex. He's killing them in whatever, with whatever way is at hand. He tries to not use the same method of killing twice in a row. He just kills people however he can and leaves their bodies willy-nilly so that they can be found by the police. So he has the documentary filmmaking crew following him around while he rants about gentrification. Yep. He rants about New York and the way it used to be in art and cities and crime. And then he talks a lot about the way he kills and people he's killing and how fun it is or how much exertion it takes and yeah. things about just drugs and politics constantly. So it's a really it's a really cool angle that way. It's not unique. Like I watched Man Bites Dog the other night, and I'm glad that I watched it because mm -hmm. it's really similar to that. You said that, yeah. Yeah, really, very, very similar. Um, except I'm not sure if that was that he had hired them for a manifesto in that film, or if the documentaries were following him around, or like Long Pigs, where documentary filmmakers are following around a serial killer. Yeah, that was an uh, an exceptionally cool, far more gory version of this. But same idea. He has a documentary filmmaking crew following him around while he rants and raves. And it's shown the first time that he really freaks out on them, where that he finally, about halfway through the movie, instead of just ranting at the camera about them, you know, the disembodied them yeah. that are there. This great there. evil... Yeah. No yeah. one's there for him to actually, to actually, like, you know, react to his ranting. The first time he turns on the documentary filmmaking crew is when he's shown as just a plebe. Yeah. Basically, uh, he's 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 a doorman, wearing his doorman uniform, and he's just like sweeping up the front of some posh, uh, building that you know very rich and yeah, really nice apartment building downtown. Yeah, and he's just the doorman there, and that's all that the footage is, and he fucking loses his mind. Loses his mind, yeah, because it's 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 not favorable. You have him ranting and raving philosophizing for the camera committing his murders for the camera um and it's interesting with the hipster culture and you you have people the thing about like coffee shop philosophy is you have people sitting around talking like they had figured it out they figured it all out so you, you're you're you, you know and, and no one else knows and so you feel like the urge to like pontificate how you figured out fucking life. And this is how people view life and it's wrong. And you need everyone to know very clearly that it's wrong. Well, his killing is an extension of that because it's when you're talking about how life is in your opinion, how life should be experienced through other people, you are essentially in control because you are, you are, are acting like the smartest person in the room. You know the great secret to life. Mm -hmm. um, murder of another human being is the ultimate form of control to a psychopath because you are deciding who lives and dies. Yeah. Arbitrarily deciding who lives and, yeah, and dies. Not only am I right and you're wrong, I'm alive and you're dead. Yeah. yeah. Um and 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 you're and and you're going to die 
so everyone sees and will understand the revolution that I'm starting. And you can put you can put any kind of psychological context on that that you will. I'm not I don't know. I'm not educated in that area. So I, I can't say. But when he's shown sweeping up the front of this posh apartment building, it's he's not in control. And more so, the film crew has done something that he didn't ask. Because he didn't want to be filmed at his job. Yeah. And so he immediately starts to regain control of the film crew. His little hissy fits, his outbursts are always about when he feels out of control. Yeah, pretty much. And it usually ends with just do what I say. Just do what I say or I'll kill you. Yeah. Because that's his trump card. His trump card is I'll kill you. And he's not fucking around and they know it because they've seen him kill people. They've seen him stalk people. They've seen him just kill people in cold blood. They've seen him him kill people randomly. He'll take a bonus body whenever he can. He'll kill them however, too. So there's, you're not really safe. Whether his gun's on the table across the room, it doesn't matter. He'll grab the fucking lamp beside you. It doesn't like whatever. He could just strangle you. He, he yeah. uses any fucking method And, and, of and feels no remorse. Not an ounce. No, like he'll, he'll kill somebody and... Just like and and talk to the film crew, and it's not only for the film crew too. I think at least once, I, once that I remember, he alludes to killing somebody two years previous. So he's been at this for quite some time. Yeah. I don't know how long the film crew's necessarily been following him around. I think it's fresh when it starts. Yeah, um, and that's his manifesto. But I don't know how long that he's been killing people, if he was killing people for no reason, or if it was always. You know what? There's no cool books for me to read anymore, so I need to start killing people so that the populace freaks out and everyone's terrorized. And then the artists use that as fodder to create mm-hmm. more books and art for me to consume. I don't know if that was the beginning of it or if he's just been killing people all his life. They're not really super clear on that. They don't go into it whatsoever. He does talk about murder of random people as what he's trying to really do is change is is to make a statement about the the decline of society and so he can't do that if he's killing important people he can't you know what i'm saying so like yeah, he doesn't want one big shocking death cuz that's not going to change anyone's because mind. Because he calls it an event. That's an event. That's a singular yeah. moment. Yeah. And and if you and then it becomes about like, "Oh, I was a madman with a gun." Which is interesting because <laughs> he eventually gets to a point where he wants to just be a madman with a gun. I think when he is kind of running out of people to fucking philosophize with because he he that's basically killing them all (laughs) he's killing them all well it's interesting because like he starts killing people he's close to he's even though he's very much aware of how people get caught and his random acts of violence are really there's a method to it because he doesn't want to get caught he doesn't want to end up like another serial killer just getting arrested for an arbitrary reason or because they got sloppy. He starts getting very sloppy um, by killing his friends. 
mm-hmm. and uh, or people closest to him, and 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 seems genuinely upset when the film crew and his friends don't understand what he's saying, and he's almost like he's so frustrated, and then it gets to the point where murder becomes the only point he's making because when he feels like he can't win an argument or when he feels belittled in an argument or whatever, he'll just kill the person that disagrees with him. If you walk away from him, if you look away from him, if you are mocking him in any way, shape, or form, yeah. the ultimate point he's going to make is, I will kill you. Well, at the very beginning, uh, that he makes a statement. He was talking with a girl at a bar and the filmmaker had left for the evening and then the next day he meets up with him again and the filmmaker assumes that he'd killed the girl. And he's like, what do you think? I can kill people whenever I want. I can't get laid whenever I want. Of course <laughs> yeah. I just fucked her. Um, so that's like you're thinking, okay, some live, some die, whatever. He's not only about killing people. He no. has his point and he's following his MO, no MO of killing the artsy and the elitist. Or not the artsy, necessarily. The faux artsy. The faux artsy. Yeah, the hipsters. So he's killing hipsters, not just willy-nilly. And then later on when he contracts an STD from that same girl, shoots her in cold blood in an alleyway, and that's sort of that other tipping point where he starts just killing randomly and just killing everybody because he can and there's no real... He's sort of run out of hipsters to kill. If he's been killing people for two years, he must have gone through a pretty huge swath of fucking hipsters considering how the one thing about this film that i will say it is a massive body count it really is they don't show it's all quick cuts it's, it, a lot it, of it's like, very quick but at the same time he is fucking killing a lot of people every night yeah he's killing one or two people minimum or maybe more maybe it more it seems like there's a few times where it seems like five a night kind of thing because he'll be like Shooting one person and the next person beside them and chasing the third one down the hallway. And then they quick to a, quick cut to a similar area that's probably nearby. It's not always the gentrification that pushes them over the edge of killing people. And it's not always, you know, this girl gave him an STD that makes him want to shoot her in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. He freaks out over their dinner party. It's not even necessarily a dinner party. It's a fucking spaghetti sauce cook-off. It's a spaghetti sauce cook-off, yeah. Ridiculous. But... This is where he's already started threatening. He's freaked out on his phone crew. I think he shot one of the phone crew members by this point. And he's sitting around with his friends, his very close friends. Through the whole movie, this uh, girl, Alex, has been... I mean, they've known each other since high school. Yeah, it's his best friend in the world. Yeah. And they're having spaghetti and... He is, his spaghetti sauce isn't very good. And not only is it not very good, they make fun of him and liken it to McDonald's and say it tastes like ketchup. And they're all laughing and joking and they're trying to rib him, you know, the way that people do when they're friends. Yeah. Um, and make fun of one another, which yeah. has never really sat very well with me. Not to the point of Malcolm throwing a hissy fit and shooting her. Because that's exactly what he does. He shoots her right in the head. Right in the fucking head. You know... William Tell style. Yeah, you know the interesting thing is uh, uh, Vince, the guy that was like hanging out with her. I don't know if it was her boyfriend now or or whatever, but someone that she was very close to as well. Yeah, they had matching shirts. Yeah, they had matching shirts. His reaction was almost no reaction. Like when she got shot in the head. And I almost... Like 
You ever have like those thoughts about like you're at like a dinner party or you're at, like a family thing and you're like, what would I, what would everyone say if I just went over and like flipped the fucking table? Like if I just grabbed the table and just <laughs> fucking flipped it and, and like pro- no prompting whatsoever. And then I just did it. And then I went and I sat back down. What would everyone's reaction be? Would they get mad at me? Would they be too stunned to speak? And that's what this guy's reaction is. He's joking with a, with uh, Alex at a person that they believe is a friend. The evening has winded down. You know, yeah, everyone, sort of trying to rib back and forth with Malcolm while every, he's every, getting steadily angrier and angrier. And all of a sudden, off camera, he pulls out a gun because you just see her get shot in the head. And yeah. then she's dead and her brains are everywhere. And, and he's just like, no just kind of looking at her like not a word he's shocked but he's definitely not in shock he's not freaking out by any means but he's just yeah stunned silence stunned silence and then you and then it cuts away and then you hear a gunshot and you know that he's been killed as well that was the one moment in this movie that i was genuinely shocked by because i felt as though malcolm genuinely liked alex like, oh, completely. And we are sure still that he's adhering to the manifesto, that he's killing off the others and he's killing off the problem and he's, you know, cutting the cancer out of the patient, so yeah. to speak. And but then I guess he has run out of fucking hipsters to kill and his friends really are part of the problem as he is as well. Yeah. So they're the next actual target so it is shocking definitely because she is his number one closest friend yeah and and it's it's really brought to light that he is part of the problem when you know by the end of the film Mm -hmm. right um yeah and i think like that was like the only the only conclusion that i think the movie could have possibly come to was for him to ironically die the same way that so many people like him had died in the movie that we just saw. Like that's not even saying anything. Just a random act of violence. Just a random act of violence because he's on his phone in a movie theater, um, which is something he would kill somebody for. Definitely. And I think he's actually mentioned it in the beginning Mm-hmm. And having respect for cinema. I think that's even one of his lines. Yeah. And it ends up being the last line uttered immediately after he's shot. Mm-hmm. For rushing into a theater and announcing that the mayor incumbent has been shot. Yeah. Which he actually planned to go and do. Yeah. As his coup de grace random act of violence. Because he's finally given up. He's thrown in the towel on his manifesto. Mm-hmm. And he's like, fine, I'll, I'll stage an event. I'll go and shoot a big name. Not an actor or an actress, but something that... Someone who whose everyone's eyes are on, someone who's viewed as the fucking solution to this problem. Who, who wants more? Who wants like cleaner, more family oriented, like like a, a Giuliani esque type yeah. mayor? Who wants who, actual Disneyland? Yeah, and, and doesn't think that that's a dirty thing at all. He's like, mm-hmm. no, this is why is why is this? What's I like Disneyland? Why why do people say like we're turning New York into Disneyland like it's a bad thing? I'm like, well, good point. It took him all that time to actually pinpoint his actual enemy. Because if Malcolm does have an enemy, it's this mayor. This guy in the running to become mayor. Mm-hmm. So that is his actual enemy. All these other people were just actually 
innocent fucking people. It's all in his own crazy mind mm -hmm. that these people are part of the problem. Yeah. In the broad scheme of things, yes, they would be part of the problem, quote unquote. But he's never really attacked his actual enemy. It's not till the end that he doesn't even get to deal the final blow on his actual enemy. No, and I More thought that irony, was really right? interesting. For all the hipsters that like that sort of ironic stuff, right? I think it's hilarious to term this as a hipster horror because it, it really is. It really is. It, it really is. And I think, like, I, I think people watching this movie who are hipsters will enjoy it because of the, like, oh, yeah, Malcolm, this guy is, like, saying everything that I believe. And I think, like, and no offense to, you know, fuck it, offense to them. Um, mm. They won't get that in that the movie, to me, is about how that's all bullshit. How someone who could live their entire life believing these things and 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 so much so that he charges himself with being judge, jury, and executioner on what he believes are the problems of the world to be executed himself by committing the same crimes that he judged other people by committing? Dude, come on. Yeah. Like, that is pretty funny. And I mean, like, you could argue that perhaps it was, perhaps it's the idea that someone who he found a real connection with, Sophie, his girlfriend, he believed he had a real connection with, couldn't understand what he wanted to do, couldn't understand that her idea of not wanting to take revenge on people who had wronged her. And forgiving them. And forgiving them. He turns her right into a traitor in his mind because he's so warped. Very us and them and pitting, you know, one side against the other. It's the haves and the haves nots. Mm -hmm. And that's who he has in polarity in his mind. And she suddenly defects by forgiving the people that had beat her up. Mm -hmm. well, and, and he can't even see that these random acts of violence that happened to her is exactly what he wanted to have happen. And when the the, the documentary crew brings that to his yeah, they attention... they point that out to him very clearly. This is part of your fucking grand solution to the he problem. And he doesn't even... He's like, well, you know, are you trying to say that, like, my girlfriend Sophie deserved to have things like that happen to him? It's like, that's not... And, and yeah, it's not about who deserves it either. Unfortunately, you're the one sitting there and balancing out who you think deserves to die. But in the rest of the world, people aren't, you know, strolling the streets looking for who deserves to die and judging her as somebody who doesn't because she's so great. It's mm -hmm. literally a random act of violence is what she is subject to. Where his are, you know what, that girl is a vegan or that girl likes pretentious film and I'm going to go shoot them. The people who beat up his girlfriend weren't thinking that at all. No. he. It's like, what a frustrating character. Yeah, he really, really is. I like that he, in the French title for this, the French title for this is Malcolm. So the film's really, really about him. Yes. The um, title here is Charm, which yeah. I don't know how that has anything to do. Me either, because I was like, this song. guy is not charming. Not in the least. He's the opposite of charming. He's super obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. And then the other title, which makes more sense, Random Acts of Violence, mm -hmm. which I wish that that was just the title of this film. I think that's the American title. Yeah. I think Charm is the UK Canadian title. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, because that's what we need for hipster films is three fucking titles.
<laughs> so they can judge you by what title you call it. Exactly. Because you know we do. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Now, it does remind me unintentionally. Not watching it doesn't remind me. But a lot of the um, the trailer and the one sheet, it's very American Psycho. Where that the was movie is not American Psycho. Not not even a little bit. And it's funny that you should say that because when I you pitched this us doing this movie to me by watching the trailer, and I and I was like, oh, it's kind of reminds me of a, of American Psycho. Um, and then when I saw the the box art, and then the. I don't know, the splash page for the for the DVD. Again, it was very American Psycho, in my opinion. Not really uh, understanding that by the time I watch the movie, it, it's very obviously not. Uh, there's nothing remotely similar to it whatsoever. No, it's a super unlikable character. Like you could say, obnoxious is a word you use. I was like, you could call He's super fucking obnoxious. You, you could call. Uh, uh, Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. You could call that movie Charm if you want. He was Fucking very... right. He's super charming. He was super uh, charming. But Charm, A, is a documentary style of film. So immediately it has a completely different aesthetic and a completely different methodology to it. Second of all, Malcolm is not charming. He's not rich. He's... just He's hardly believable. We get his manifesto, as it were... Uh, in bits and pieces and rapid fire fucking rants yeah. where we get Patrick Bateman's manifesto in very calm and metered speech. Yeah. And he makes a lot of fucking sense. Oh, yeah. Even though he's nuts as oh, fuck. He's completely nuts. Yeah. And he's believable because he's intelligent. Malcolm's intelligent, but not believable because mm. he is just comes off as a fucking powder keg of stupidity. Now, yeah. the other biggest difference is... The, the charm inherent, hmm. where Patrick Bateman basically does have himself together, even if it's a facade. Uh, Malcolm absolutely does not. Oh, no. Where he even hides some of the things that he doesn't want us to see as the viewer, like his job. Mm-hmm. I, I feel he probably would have hid more of the interactions with his parents and stuff like that, where I don't believe Patrick Bateman really gets into that, other than his cold father. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's nothing really to hide. At all. No, not at all. Yeah. And and that's that's definitely somebody who is is constantly um trying to climb the social ladder but who already has a significant amount of success already. Mm-hmm. Uh Malcolm in Charm is a character who has no social standing and so because of that now I guess rejects that society because he's not part of it. And he won't ever be part of it. So you may as well hate it. Because if you hate it, then you don't feel bad that you're not part of it. Um, I don't know. Patrick Bateman would totally clean the fucking floor with Malcolm. Oh, yeah. If I can drop a chainsaw on him from like a really high altitude. and No, not even. I don't <laughs> even think he'd give him that sort of fucking fun. No? No, that would be definitely a stabbing outside of an ATM. <laughs> Nothing in common with you. Kick him to death in the hall, in the alleyway. You smell like shit. Yeah, I think that's exactly how that would go down if the two were to meet. <laughs> Maybe. Now I kind of want to just see like a fucking brawl between Malcolm and Patrick Bateman. <laughs> yeah. 
Unfortunately, the two are sort of not mirror images of one another, but in style and substance, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You definitely have two different characters that like to pontificate. They definitely like to explain... Patrick Bateman liked to explain pop culture to people so they understood it. Yeah, Malcolm has a little tiny rant about MGMT and what other <laughs> band he hates so much. But it's not about bandies he likes. Yeah. Or that are important for culture and society. Yeah. The way Patrick Bateman actually has a point. Yeah. In I, his mind. In his mind, yeah. yeah. I think that... Um, I don't know, like... Is this hard... the, the hipster version? Is this a 21st century fucking... Like the 2012 version of, of American Psycho? Like, this is where we... I don't know, like... Is that what they were trying to make us believe with the way that the trailer and the art are positioned? That's it, what it looks like to me on it, the surface. It does. It does look like that. Um, I think that you basically have a movie that was filmed to be one thing but marketed as another thing. And that happens all the time in cinema. Oh, for sure. And especially with horror, too. I think that... Yeah, for sure. I think that... You know they uh, uh, they made this movie, uh, and it had the messages. The message to me that the movie is trying to convey. What I'm ultimately getting away, uh, like taking away from this, is that all of this coffee shop philosophy is bullshit, and random acts of violence are truly random acts of violence they truly are and there's not a hell of a lot that you can change about the place you are if you don't like it the only thing you can really change not even is yourself quote unquote to sound like a fucking coffee shop philosopher mm -hmm. but just move just move away yeah like that was the thing um and it's interesting though the, the one of the things that we failed to mention about malcolm is that he's not a native new yorker he he will uh, argue that with he, you. He definitely he will argue He's that. He's lived there since he was 16, don't he, you know? He will argue that point to death. Um, <laughs> oh, you're funny. Pardon the expression. But he's from the UK. And even though he's been there since he's 16, he believes himself to be more New York than anybody. He... Because, again, he's got it all figured out. It's super obnoxious. Like, if there's ever a character I ever wanted to punch in the mouth. He gets punched in the mouth. He gets punched in the eye. Not good enough. I wanted oh. to punch him right in the mouth. I don't know. Like, I just found, like, him... I think that if people are interested... Honestly, the random acts of violence in this movie really save it for me. Because I found that interesting to watch. I found every character here just people that I would want to strangle. Absolutely unlikable. And uh, the exact sort of people that he's talking about that make him want to kill them. And yeah. he's one of them. And it is. It is an angry making movie in a way. Unlike things like American Psycho, that's not an, an angry making movie. And as reluctantly likable as yeah. Patrick Bateman is, he is a likable character. Yeah. Uh, he's an unfortunately enviable character, not because of his freedom to kill people. You know, whatever you dream about in your own time is your own business as mm -hmm. far as killing people. But <laughs> okay. he is, you know, a fit, good looking, successful gentleman. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So enviable. Not only likable, but fucking enviable. You can do a right? thousand sit ups at that, that Patrick Bateman. <laughs> yes, he can. And. 
Oh, God. All I have in my mind is the mirror scene. Oh, my fuck. Get that out of my brain for this podcast. It can go in my brain anytime. Just not now. <laughs> suit, suit, studio. <laughs> With you mimicking it, it makes it even better. Yeah. You, Slash the, the, worse. The I podcast audience can't see, but I'm doing the actions. Yeah. Thank, oh, yeah. thank God. Ooh. Thank God. We do this live and real life together. <laughs> If you take a similar film, um, Long Pigs, where yeah. the main character is, is again, likable because he's funny and you sort of feel sorry for him. He's a bit of a dweeb, but he's doing this because he's a cannibal and his friends are cannibals. So it's like a friendly buddy movie in that way. He's just killing people. And the documentary crew um, does have interactions with him where they pick fights amongst one another because of what he's doing and the way he's doing it. And then you go to Man Bites Dog, where he's not that likable, but a lot of the people around him are likable and the innocent people that he's killing, you have you don't you're not introduced to them, so you can't like them or not like them. So you sort of feel bad just because they're people dying or whatever. So unlike all of those, they go out of their way to make every single person in charm absolutely fucking detestable super fucking annoying i would hate to meet the person who feels badly for anyone in this fucking movie because i probably wouldn't like them very much yeah i also don't think anyone died for any fucking good reason right it was so fucking random mm -hmm. which i guess is why one of the titles for this is random acts of violence yeah i don't know i enjoyed all the random acts of violence in a way it's not as it doesn't get out your aggression like a really violent film and i definitely was left wanting after this, it's sort of like, you know, going going on a date with with a, a sexy person and you don't get none. So you have to go home and jerk off. I'm going to I'm going to have to go take care of something. <laughs> and on that note, I'm what snipe. And I'm typical Lydia. You've been listening to Dead Air.